of chosenness was yesterday's, uh, and we said one of the ideas being that Jewish people are chosen to do the Torah mitzvahs and be a light to the nations, those are the words of the prophet. So the other nations should look at us and want to emulate us in a very good, positive way, be impressed by us, see how we do things, see how we live, and uh, want to live a godly life as well. We discussed yesterday whether we've been successful at that. Uh, here's a beautiful quote from the former, former chief rabbi of the British Commonwealth, whose name was... Chief Rabbi Lord Jacobovitz, I'm English, I'm entitled to bring down Chief Rabbis of the Great British Empire. You can look at this beautiful quote at the bottom, bottom page 22. His name was Lord? No, his name was not Lord. That was a title he was given. Uh, when you become um, Chief Rabbi, very important. It's two ways to become Lord. You either get, uh, you get it through hereditary, as in it gets passed down, or you get given the title for services to the, uh, to the empire. So we have a House of Commons, which is where all the MP members of Parliament are. And then you have the Lords, which is a, a, a different, a higher house. And they don't really have any law-making powers. They discuss things. They can veto a few things if they want to, but usually they just don't. So it's just basically gifts they give to very special people, of which this Chief Rabbi was. And the present Chief Rabbi, just retired, also had that position. He was a Lord as well. Okay. Um, sure. Absolutely. You have a House of Lords. People get, I'm still waiting for mine. Still waiting. Nope, didn't get it. <laughs> you have to be there first to do it does help, yeah. Okay, so he says, I do believe that the chosen people concept, as affirmed by Judaism in its holy writ, its prayers, right? Aman Nivcha, we speak about it. Bachar Banu, we speak about it all the time. Hashem chose us. And its millennial tradition is valid. In fact, I believe that every people, indeed in a more limited way, every individual is chosen. Now he's like limiting it. Bottom page 22, those who are following. So the idea of a chosenness, or destined for some distinct purpose in advancing the divine designs of providence, that's Hashem, basically. Right? Hashem's will in this world. Only, some fulfill their mission, others do not. You have free will. If a person wants to, they do. If they don't want to, they don't. Yeah? Perhaps the Greeks were chosen for the unique contributions to art and philosophy, the Romans for their pioneering services in law and government, the British for bringing parliamentary rule into the world, and the Americans for piling democracy in a pluralistic society. So every nation brings forward great things. The Jews were chosen by God to be peculiar unto me. That's very specific. As the pioneers of religion and morality. That was and is their national purpose. So everyone brings something to the world. We're not saying, oh, when we say chosen, people get uncomfortable with the word chosen. Like we're chosen, we're special. We have a mission. Different people have different missions in a company. Different nations have a mission in the world. Okay. Hopefully that mission is a good mission, if they choose the right aspect of it, not necessarily they do. And hopefully they use it for the good. Okay? So people can grab up to a higher or a lower aspect. So let's just, you know, let's do another list today. Let's do a list of these. So what is the... What are the mitzvahs for the non-Jews? We started to do the mitzvahs for the Jewish people. Well, we started upon it. How about non-Jews? Non-Jews have mitzvahs. So we have seven laws. Okay, now they're referred to as the... Right. For what? Uh, they don't have to. They see the Ten Commandments and they may like it, but they don't have to keep them according to Judaism. Going to Judaism, we have the Shiva Mesbunei Noach, the seven laws of Noach. Uh, although they go back and probably predate him, um, 
they refer to in his name because he um, epitomized, if you will, the non-Jewish world because Noah was not Jewish, as we said, right? So there's seven laws which from his day carry on and these laws still apply. Let's go through them and let's learn them, let's remember them and I'll give you a nice, I'm very, as you'll get to know me more and more, I'm very into, um, for my days in yeshiva, my rebbies were always very into memorization techniques. So we'll do that, we'll learn it that way because that's what, my daughter, when she learned this, actually did this her homework the other day, funnily enough, and she learned it through a song. You could do that as well. And she had a whole song which I could not understand. But uh, we'll do the Aleph Beis Gimel Dalet. Okay? Aleph Beis Gimel Dalet. Aleph Beis Gimel Dalet. Yeah, these are the seven laws of Noah, the Shiva Mispanei Noah. So what are the Aleph Beis Gimel Dalet? There's four of them. So Aleph stands for Ever Menachai. Which means one cannot eat the limb of a live animal. These are actually, they aren't really laws in themselves. They're also headings. You can learn out, some people learn out 44 laws from this, mitzvah that come out of this, okay? So no eating limb of live animal. A limb, not a liver, a limb. A limb, you cannot, the people, you cannot rip a, a limb of an animal and uh, eat it, yeah. And eat it. Base is Birchas Hashem. This is a euphemism. Birchas Hashem means to bless God's name. So what it actually means is you can't curse God. But we don't want to say curse God. So they always refer to it as Birchas Hashem. You cannot curse God. And that probably means, you know, on a Bible, done in a very emphatic way. Gimel is Gezela. What does gazela mean, anybody know? It's stealing. No stealing. And we'll obviously include kidnapping in that thing as well, because that's the most precious thing a person can steal. No stealing. So I put no stealing, not stealing. Okay. And dalad is dinim. Dalad is dinim, which means that every non-Jewish society in the entire world has a mitzvah to set up fair and just law court systems. That means we're left for three. What are the final three? One, two, three, or five, six, seven, depends how you want to do it. Right? So we said, right, so Gilead Rice, no forbidden relationships. Okay. Gilead Riot, no forbidden relationships. Now, Okay, no offensive relationships, whether it be uh, incest uh, or anything else that would uh, incur a death penalty. So no forbidden sexual relationships. Two is... What? So, gilui, to reveal. Yud. Arayot. What are the vav? Arayot, like that. Yeah? Do you have to know the Spanish? What was that? Sorry, I forgot the language, but I only have to know the English, right? Not the English. 
you write down the Hebrew just to have it. There. Ayan Reish Yud Vav Taf Arayot. Shvi Chut Damim is no murder. Oof, that noise. No murder. Shvi Chut Damim. And finally, what's the last one? Avoda Zara. No idol worship. Right, right, one God, absolutely. We said, uh, we said this already. You don't need to be Jewish in order to worship God. We don't have a monopoly on God. They pray to God. That's okay. That's a good, wonderful, beautiful thing. They should have one God. What did Avraham spend his entire life doing? Not converting Jews, people to Judaism or whatever. He spent his entire life telling people to worship one God. That's the same idea. So that makes you seven. Okay. Very, very good. That's a fair question. In other words, well, do people really want to follow this? People understand it? Um, so it used to be they knew it. And they understood it and they appreciate it. Again, it could be one of the roles. And having people try to push it and to publicize it and to make it part of the um, international conscience happens to be that it's kind of happened in of itself. To be fair, in order to, the Rambam says, in order for a person to be fulfilling these mitzvot, they have to be doing it deliberately, not accidentally. They have to know it. They have to have kavana in order to do it. Do you think people know about these things? Most people do not know about this today. But most people live religions, which come from Judaism anyway, and principles come from it, but they don't. Having said that, there are certain groups, historically they did. Um, I mean, most people don't know about God either, or anything else for that matter. So it's not such a, uh, you know. There are groups. There's actually a, a security guard here at Stern College I've been good friends with. Um... Over many years, we used to have discussions about Christianity, and, and eventually, after many discussions, he, he did leave his church, and he accepted upon himself the seven mitzvahs of Ben Noach, and actually joined a meet. There's a meeting that meets once a week. He would go to, and he would talk to me about it. It's funny, actually. Actually, he actually got transferred from here to another position within YU. So I actually made a video. I asked him if I could make a quick video of him speaking for a few minutes. So I put it on YouTube. We got like 800 hits or something, somewhere on YouTube of him speaking for a few minutes, and he actually talks about these. Uh, these seven laws. Yeah, it's interesting. Remind me to email you that. This is another question. And number one, there's an, um, is that include like cheating and your husband, that's it? Because the Jewish government also has like you can't have Now, this is very, very interesting. This is, this is very, very interesting. The point, these seven laws... There's two separate things over there. One second, let's let's come back. So we will um, we will discuss this. Um, maybe not now, but we will get into this of uh, premarital uh, relations. We'll talk about that. Um, the according to Christianity, it makes it not a problem. According to uh, sorry, the non-Jewish, according to non-Jewish law, that's not part of this. This is particularly 
forbidden relationships, which will include incest and the like. That, for sure, is forbidden. Um, these laws applied before the Torah was given. When the Torah was given, all those laws superseded these laws for us, not for them. So, for example, that means all these laws existed before Har Sinai, and then once Har Sinai happened, the 613 took over for the Jewish people from these seven. So these seven technically do not apply to us. We are now held responsible for the 613. The question is, for example, it says do not murder over there. And then the Aserta Dibra says do not murder. Why repeat it? So these are the murder. Because what? Because these are the murder. These don't apply to us is the answer. But the 613 mitzvah do apply to the Jewish people. These are not like seven ideas, seven nice things that apply to the entire world, Jews included. These are specifically the seven laws that apply to the non-Jewish world. That is their role. So it's also forbidden for us, but not from here, from the Torah. That's why it was repeated. That's why it was repeated in the Torah itself. That's why the Sarah Zebra had to say again, do not murder. Do not murder. I, I forgot. It's written there. Actually, if you know the real reason, when it says do not murder in the Torah, in the Sevzah Dibrot, it, it refers to more things than just killing people. For example, look at Judaism, if you um, steal money from a person, you're taking away their life. If you embarrass a person in public, we'll talk about that later on in the semester, it's as though you're killing them. Now, it's not a capital crime, and it's not really as though you kill them, but we give it a certain spiritual status, so you kill the person, embarrassing a person, making their face white or make them blush because you embarrass them. That's considered murder. Right? Committing adultery, you've stolen a person's wife, you've killed that over their husband, you've killed them to some degree. You know? So the laws of the Torah are a lot more detailed than these seven. And that's why it has to be repeated because they are specific laws just for the Jewish people. Now it's saying the rules for the non-Jewish people. Okay? So I'm just making a difference over there. Okay? So how does a person convert? So a person who converts will move from these seven... And I know many people, by the way, who've gone through conversions, and they said before, and I wanted to try these seven, I didn't feel satisfied, they'll say. I've heard many people speak about this from their own personal experience, and said, you know, then I wanted to convert. So how does a person convert to Judaism? So there's a few things. If they're male, they have to be circumcised. Um, number two is everyone has to accept upon themselves all 613 mitzvot. Now, they don't have to become experts at every one of them. The Gemara says they learn a few, learn a few, they'll just get used to the idea, but they become part of a community. But they have to accept on themselves the idea of all 613. Okay? That's all of them. Um, and then they have to go and immerse in a mikvah. That immersion is considered to be, and we'll discuss the mikvah another time, but it's a renewal. They become a new person, if you will, and that is the final part. Before they enter the mikvah, they're not Jewish. Once they come out of the mikvah, they are Jewish. That's the way it works. Yeah. Um, if um, a non-Jew converts and in some time he stops following mitzvot, Great question. If a person sincerely accepts oneself all 613 mitzvot and then decides a while later not to keep on them, that is not a good thing. They are 100% Jewish. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's why we don't push people to become Jewish, because it's, it's a lot. It's a big deal. So it ain't... Uh, Jewish, like, let's say me, I'm in the middle. I just, I just saw Mitzvot and I don't. And 
they wouldn't be able to do that because they have to follow They would not be able to do that. They're held to a higher standard, absolutely. We're all held to a higher standard. But if they want to, now they can spend their entire, they can spend years if they want doing it, preparing for it. They don't have to, again, there's no, there's no speed challenge over here. They have to become Jewish in a year or something. They can take their time as long as they think they need in order to learn and prepare themselves for that thing. And I know people who spend, you know, four or five years learning studiously in order, in order to, uh, to do it. But um, you're different because you didn't grow up religious in a Torah-observant family environment like so many people nowadays. And so people are entitled to take their time to learn and to grow and keep moving. There is no speed a person has to go at. People have to go slowly and they have to... And there's a comparison. I mean, that's part of the reason I actually want to learn one of these things. When a convert converts, they take the time, they learn, they keep growing, they do a little, 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 move, move, slow, 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 slow. And so to a person who grew up non-observant, they'll take a little bit and they'll grow and more and more and more and more and more and more. Actually, everyone's doing that, but at different levels. A person who grows up in a religious family, right, the son of the rabbi or the, you know, leader of the community, whatever it is, such a person will also go slowly. Um, sorry, such a person will also have to, but their level will be different. For them, rather than, should I keep kosher today or not keep kosher? And we'll do a whole class of free will, which is very important. But rather than having that decision, they'll be, should I arrive uh, to shul on time? Do I have kavana during my tefillah, the right intention? Right? So, but that's their challenge. So for one person, it's do I eat kosher, not eat kosher. For another person, is do I, I don't know, pr- um, say brichat amazon with the right intention? You know? Now, if you was like, that, that miles ahead of me, it doesn't go where you end up. It doesn't, in other words, there's no finishing line. Right? It's not the Olympics where there's a goal line, you have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Everyone is graded against themselves. Everyone has to, everyone is graded against their own personal ability, which is why the very famous comment that anyone can be Moshe Rabbeinu. It's the famous idea. Anyone, anyone can be a great study. Well, how can that be? I'm not going to be, and the answer is because everyone is graded as to put where they start when they finish. Which means a two people, exactly the same people, walk past an non-kosher restaurant, uh, same time of day with the same level of hunger. I don't know. One of them gets tremendous reward for doing it, and the other one doesn't. It's just the way it is. Everyone is because one of them loves eating non-kosher, you know, eating you know Big Macs with you know the cheese and the shrimp and you know the rest of it on top, whatever it is. And the other one doesn't have that desire at all because they wouldn't even dream of walking to McDonald's to have something a non-kosher f- food. The one who walks past it gets more. They're both doing exactly the same act, and that is why, by the way, very importantly, we're not told the reward for a mitzvah. You know that we're never told the reward for a mitzvah. There are certain times we're told what the benefits of a mitzvah may be. For example, if you honor your parents, give them a long life, or Shlocha Kain's anyway, the mother bird. But you're never told the reward. That's not the reward. The reward you can never tell. You're told the punishment for an Avera. You're told what happens if you if you break, if you eat on Yom Kippur, you get karate. If you steal, whatever it is, you're told what the, what the onesh is. But you're never told the reward for a mitzvah. Why not? Why did Torah not tell you? Now, sometimes it's hinted at, and the, the stronger the punishment, you can learn out pretty much the world that's so great as the reward. There's two reasons. One, there's many reasons. But the two main ones are, number one, if you're told the reward for every mitzvah, what are you going to do? What's a person naturally going to do? They're going to choose the ones with the big rewards, and then ignore the ones that don't have big rewards. And actually, you don't know. It could be the small ones are much bigger award. We don't know. 
the things that we uh, dashbek vav, we just kind of throw them away. Ah, that's a small mitzvah. So this is a big one. Who says? So there's an objective reason and a subjective. Objectively, it could be what you think is a small mitzvah is actually a really big mitzvah in Hashem's eyes. But the other reason is because it depends on who you are. It could be for you getting up and praying a few words every morning is equal to some rabbi saying the entire siddur, reading all of Tehillim. That's the reality. It could be the one person who gets up, never prayed their entire life, doesn't want to, and get, oh, doesn't feel like praying this morning, and says a few words of prayer sincerely. That could be worth some rabbi, some rebison praying an entire year. Okay, so, so it can't be. That's a subjective reality. Okay, very, very good question. So you're saying, why make life difficult? So the answer is, every neshama has its own mission in this world. Some people have to be born into very religious holy families, and some people are born purposefully. It is not coincidence. It wasn't a mistake that you've got to try to fix. Some people are purposely born into families where they don't have that, where they have parents who are not interested, where they don't keep kosher, and their role and job for some reason is to grow and become more observant. Why? I don't know. Ask God. That's God's, God's the one who's deciding it. The world needs people like that as well. We don't all get to be born in such families. There's a reason why we're born in such a family. When I'm talking about, however, something different, the reward for a person for doing it is commensurate to the effort. As we see in Pirkei Avot, which we're going to start learning soon, actually. I should have started that already. Lufum Tzara Agra. According to the effort is the reward. Right now, each one of you is rewarded, being rewarded for not going outside and banging someone on the head and killing them. Really? Absolutely. Now, it could be someone in here really wants to do that, and they're being rewarded greatly. For the rest of us, I'm going to assume, we don't have that. However, the reward for that is tiny. It's minuscule. It's a tiny... But we're still being rewarded for it. We're being rewarded right now, says the Gemara, for not going outside... Uh, taking an animal and drinking its blood. A Torah prohibition. You can't drink blood of an animal. Okay? You can't drink. Now, I don't have that desire to walk around and, like, chop heads off cows and drink their blood. However, I'm still rewarded. Now, the reward is very, very small. I'll be greatly rewarded for not speaking Lashon Hara, where I have a strong desire to do that half the time. Can you see? So it's, it depends. So we're being rewarded for everything. And it depends on the person. But everyone get, however, the, your point of challenge is where your reward really comes in. Which is different for everyone. So the Torah can't tell you the reward for this is great, and the reward for that is not so great. Can't tell you that, because hey, everyone's different. So the schar, the reward we're given for doing mitzvah, depends on the person. And what they're going through at that particular time. Sometimes you will be rewarded for not killing someone. And that's going to be when you want to actually kill someone who's driving you crazy. Okay, if not kill them, speak lush and horror about them, which is considered to be killing as well to some degree. We'll discuss that when we get there. Okay. Having said that, some mitzvot we do know are, are bigger. Some mitzvot we do know, for example, Shabbat, we'll discuss Shabbat in more detail, is considered a greater mitzvah. There's no doubt about it. And we learn that, by the way, from the punishment for not keeping Shabbat, which is very great. But Shabbat, the Gemara tells us, is equal to all the other mitzvahs. Something about certain mitzvahs do have more prominence, which is why we define a Jew by Shabbat. You know that. 
How do we define a Jew, an observant Jew? Are they Shomer Shabbos, we say? Are they Shomer Shabbat? We don't say, is that person a sukkah dweller? Is that person a matzah eater? Is that person a charity giver? Is that person Shomer Shabbat? There's a reason why Shabbat, you have to know more about Shabbat, which we'll do, that it really exemplifies who we are as a people and as individuals within that people. So Shabbat is unique. So there's some mitzvot do we know historically through the Jewish sources, the way it's spoken about, and the idea of it to definitely have more prominence than the other mitzvah. Yeah. Um, if there was a Jew who said that they are children of Kashrut, but not children of Shabbat, would yeah. you be allowed to eat? Yeah, that happens many, many times. Would you allow to what? Would you be allowed to eat at their house? Or would it be like a restaurant? So... That's a, that's a very tricky question, difficult to answer, depends on the family, usually, and depends on the circumstance. Um, like if it wasn't going to be like a rude thing to say, like that you couldn't come over, if they were having like, I don't know, if it wasn't going to be rude, would you be allowed to go over it? It, it depends on the, but generally speaking, we use Shabbat as the definition of their year at Shemayim, and that will spill over into the rest of what they're doing. In other words, you can't say the food they're serving is not kosher. See, that you can't say, right? Having said that, there's a level of trust that goes into eating food. And we'll see why kosher is also... Shabbat is there, but also kosher as well. And there's a reason why kosher... Kosher is different. Each mitzvah gives you a different thing. Kosher is important because it directly affects the neshama. So we do put kosher as a... as well as its own thing. Um, in terms of the trust we imbue into people, Shabbat is usually the defining trait. Having said that, you know, person keep Shabbat and not keep kosher, you know, I'm saying, you know, um, sometimes that would be a more of a trust thing, yeah. So why are there, like, people who are, like, religious and they go to restaurants that are kosher but, like, open Good question. Can you do that or is it wrong? You've got to keep Shabbat, you've got to keep kosher. But they still get, so we have to define what kosher is. There's a number of problems that come with eating foods. We'll do kosher as well, as well, and see why that's big. But kosher isn't just kosher ingredients. Uh, it's also things that are checked, make sure who cooked it, how they cooked it. There's a lot more than just a list. Yeah, but something, something. At least you I'm not, no, I'm not. We're not judging the person. The question is, do we trust them? Liana's question was different. She wasn't like, are we judging this person? She's like, to what level can we uh, rely upon the kosher of such individuals? Which is a different question. That's a personal choice. Um, right. Family members may be different, but we'll talk about that. That's a individual in each situation. For example, you have a family member who's not completely shamash but they're very careful, and you're there, and you see to make kosher food for you, and you're there to, to mind, then it could be okay. Right. So, what about like, uh, like there's this restaurant, like they're kosher, and they're not open on Shabbat, but they want to have a So, that's a, you have non Jews on kosher, kosher restaurants which are okay to eat at. Why is that? You need someone there to make sure that nothing goes into the food that isn't kosher, not kosher. Even though the owner himself doesn't himself. Right, well, he's not always there. You've got to make sure who's running the place and all the rest of it. But yeah, he could be a completely... But as long as the mashkiach is over there to make sure someone is there to supervise, then it'll be okay. We rely upon that person, not upon the owner of the restaurant. Right. I love this class. We can go on to all different areas. <laughs> Starts with non-Jews and talking Shabbos and talking kosher. That's good. That's a very, very good thing. I like that. Okay. Um, okay, so the idea of Benetton, page 24. Let's move on from this one. 
So we said non-Jews have their place in the world. It's a very good place. And according to the Rambam, anyone who's part of other nations who live a righteous lifestyle, they have a chelik lomaba. They go to the next world. They have a chelik lomaba in the next world. There's no doubt about it. Okay, I tell you, we the Jewish people do not have a monopoly on that. What? Oh, sorry, I missed that. It's Lola Mabah. Yes, sorry. No, it doesn't say it, though. It doesn't say Because I, I, I missed it out. I should have oh, put it in there. I'm sorry. That's my thing. That's it. The, the full person is Vachin Chasidi Olam Yeshem Chalek Lola Mabah to the next world. Okay? And it goes further, the Gemara and the Sifri mentions as well that even a non-Jew studies Torah in order to fulfill these seven laws has the level of the Kohen Gadol. And it's an extraordinary comment, but that's the comment they make. Okay. However, the Jewish people were chosen, we said, chosen for a specific role in the world in order to fulfill the mitzvahs. And that's what the Ramban says, page 25. We were given a unique and specific opportunity, and we're going to go deeply into this now, to accept the Torah, to become an Amsagula, a treasured nation, and to keep the entire Torah. Okay? And that affects us, affects our people, and ultimately affects the entire world as well. All right. That concludes our discussions of the non-Jews and the seven Mishpanenoach. Any other questions, thoughts, comments on anything we discussed so far? Yes. So, Jews believe in hell and heaven, right? So when you're saying that... Whoa, 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 what did you say? Jews believe that there's hell. Jews believe in heaven and hell. Okay, so... Well, let me just define that comment. <laughs> there are so many jokes I can make right now. My, my brain is scrambling over here. Jokes about marriage, jokes about traffic. I just have to control myself. Why, well, what? What, today? Uh, you had a question today I didn't answer? No, no, it's Well, whatever is right down for once. Let me just answer this and I'll, we'll come back to it. I don't want to avoid any questions. So we have to find what heaven and hell is according to Judaism. Okay? So heaven exists, and there's a thing called Gehenim, which is unlike the other religions, the Havdal, is a short amount of time that an Shabbat goes through for purification. We don't know, and we don't know to what degree. But all the righteous people do not. We assume, uh, we make an assumption of not, but everyone is uh, prayed for. We say Kaddish for everyone. And it's a 12-month procedure, which is why the custom is to stop after 11 months, as if to say they're not really going through the entire 12 months of it, right? And then I'll say Kaddish again at the end. But uh, yes, there is an idea of hell. Now, for us, heaven, you know, it's diff- these are difficult words, you know? I mean, if I ask you to imagine heaven and hell, what image comes to your head? Cloud. Right? What, what, what? Cloud. Clouds, yeah. What else? Babies with wings, right? With bows and arrows. Babies playing harps, you know? I mean, if I get to heaven and there's a baby playing a harp, I'm going to punch it. 
Because <laughs> I don't like the harp. And uh, Okay, I like babies. But um, not ones with wings floating around my head annoying me. These are not Jewish concepts. These are most of its Christian imagery, maybe even Hollywood, that's been sucked into our heads. Heaven and hell are not physical representations whatsoever, not physical places. They're purely spiritual things. There's no 72 people waiting for us when we get there, as other religions will claim. There's no uh, Adidas sneakers, whatever they say, or, you know, or big houses waiting for us. They are spiritual realms. This is the only spir- physical realm, only Olamasiya, this world we're in right now. All the rest are spiritual in nature. Okay? They are not physical in any shape or form. So there is a thing called Gehenna, which is a cleansing that Neshama goes through um, for a short amount of time. And heaven, we have to define what Shemayim is. When we say Shemayim, or Olam Haba, could be a number, it could be one of three things. It could be referring to when the Neshama goes through after it leaves this world, which is actually referred to as Gan Eden. It also refers to the time after Mashiach comes. That's also another term for it. And it could be the time after Tcheta Metim, after the resurrection of the dead, which we'll speak about later on in the semester. Um, which is when, uh, for a matter of time for sure, body and soul reconnect in this world. So eventually everyone goes to heaven? No. Um, okay. Everyone gets this place called Olam Haba. question is, it's like a sti- seating in stadium. Some will get front row seats, some get middle ones, and some get farther back. But every Jew has a Chelek Olam Haba. Yes. Depends where and how great that portion is. Um, there are various descriptions of it. Some of them is a little scary, um, but uh, we've seen it. We see it. If you look at the sources, which I'm not going to do the semester, but I'll do that. It, it's seen as a positive. It's actually seen as a chesed of Hashem that the things are wiped away. It's a cleansing of it. This idea of hell as well, like you know, with like a devil, with you know. You know, horns and the face of my math teacher from high school, you know, whatever it was, you know. These are not Jewish ideas. There is an idea of heat being mentioned, and they, they say that this is the idea of um, the embarrassment, which is like heavy, you, you get hot, your face gets hot, uh, the embarrassment of not achieving what you could have achieved and the various sins you did. That's, that could be where the idea of the heat and hot uh, comes in according to uh, some of the commentators. Right? Um, but the good news is that we can do tshuva in this world, which is a great gift as well, which... That's not really li- like, if someone was like, lived in like, a family that wasn't religious, and like, you're, you know, you've been saying, like, if you don't eat like, masa, then you're merely going to die, whatever. No. No, what does it say? no, what does it say that if a person doesn't eat matza, they're immediately going to die? Okay, I'm here to... I'm here, Gabriella. That's why you're in my class. Let me be very clear. If you don't eat matzah, you're not immediately going to die. First of all, let's make a distinction between people who grew up religious and know the laws and understand them fully and appreciate them and don't do mitzvah and do averis, as opposed to people who grew up secular, for the most part, who have a different status in Jewish thought. They have a different status and they're not held to such a high standard. They call they have a status called Tinak Handishba, called a kidnapped child. What it refers to is a scenario where a young child as a baby is kidnapped by a non-Jewish family and brought up as a complete non-Jew. Such a person is not held culpable for their Averos because they never knew. You can't hold a person accountable. Having said that, 
Once a person becomes aware of their obligations to Jew, they are expected to start learning, growing, and slow to taking your mitzvot. Okay? That takes time. Once you learn this thing called Shabbat, you're not expected to keep all of Shabbat immediately. First of all, it's impossible. Second of all, it's not healthy. You can't go from a completely secular, secular family and say, oh, I'm keeping all of Shabbat the whole time, every single law. But you are expected to start learning and doing a little bit. Everyone's got to do something. I, for example, tell people that start doing Friday night and move on from that point. You've got to move slow. You have to move slow. By the going to the Rambam, if a person does that, says, you know what? I want to start keeping Shabbat. Too much for me right now. I'll do a little bit. It's as though they're keeping all of Shabbat, by the way. It's the Rambam. An amazing Rambam. So what you're talking about is if a person eats chametz on Pesach, they get karet. There's a certain spiritual, not physical in this world, but spiritual cutting off. If a person does not know what chametz is, understand it, appreciate it, they don't know what it is, then they're not held to that standard. Having said that, once they do know, they should try not eat chametz on Pesach. Um, the good news is, that is teshuva a bull. I don't know if that's a word, but it is now. That means the good news is karet is actually better because a person gets to do teshuva for it and it's as though it's wiped away and it's as though they never did it. That is a power of teshuva. Okay. So we've said a number, I said a lot of things very quickly, just to recap to understand them. Most Jews today who are not observant, I'm talking 99.9% of them, I believe, right, are not culpable for doing that Avei Rot. They just didn't grow up with it. They got, what are they meant to do? They just don't know. They grew up in religious families where it's not important. Maybe there's some semblance with Jews, you know, and that's all this, but they're not held culpable. Once they become aware, they should, are expected to start learning and doing something. They should do something. Once they start to do something, because they want to do everything, but they can't do everything, so they'll do something towards getting there, which may take weeks, months, years even. It's as though they're doing all of it, which is a big thing. Uh... And they're not held culpable for a person, a religious person who eats chametz on Pesach does get karet. Person, you know, a person who eats food on Yom Kippur gets, does get karet. But a person who grew up ignorant of what it is, they're not held culpable. They're still expected to do it and learn about it, but um, not at the speed and the same requirement at that point as someone who grew up that way. Is that making sense? So once can be very clear with you, if a Jewish person who grew up not observing, and when I say no, I mean... They knew there's a thing called Yom Kippur. They knew, but they don't... You know, it was like, whatever, you know. There's Yom Atzumot, there's Yom Kippur. They don't, you know, both Yoms. What's the difference kind of thing, you know? Then they're not help, culpable. Yeah, Rachel. What about in the case of a kidnapped child, if you take that example, then what happens if they grow up and they marry a non-Jew? Same thing. They're still forbidden to do it, but they don't know. Mm-hmm. We are responsible. Uh, we always put the responsibility on them. It's not on them, it's on us to inform, to teach them. We actually, the 10% which we saw, right, it's probably observant jury here in America, maybe 15% in Israel maybe, they are the ones who are responsible to actually share those values with other people. In other words, who's in trouble for that? It could be us. Because we didn't, now how we do that isn't by, you know, shaking them down, you know, and uh, beating them up and, is a way to do it. But we are responsible to do that. So then what happens with the interfaith marriage that they didn't realize was interfaith? They know they are Jewish, they're marrying a non-Jew. No, I'm saying, like, in the case of a kidnapped child, like, if they were completely... They're not held culpable for that. Not held culpable. According yeah. to most opinions, they're, they're not held culpable for that whatsoever. They're not held culpable. They didn't know. There are some opinions that say that they are. 
There are some opinions that say they should have found out if they're able to. But these were written in times, these opinions were in times where pretty much everyone knew what was going on. We are living in a time where people have absolutely no idea. It used to be that Jews knew. They lived in Jewish community, they understood, and when they did it, they were doing it in defiance of God and their people. Nowadays they're doing it because they just don't know. Okay, they knew they're Jewish, and if she's not Jewish, they don't know more than that. I'm not condoning it, but according to Torah law, these people, it's understandable what they are doing. I'm just like, instead of looking at them, that's why, as I mentioned the other day, that's why we don't tear Korea on such people. We don't tear our shirts like on Allah and we say Kaddish for them. They used to be the way no one does that anymore. No one does that. Yeah, they, when a person passes away, they lose a member of the family, they tear their shirt. It's called Kriya. Which we do, well, we do that when a person passes away. But we don't do that anymore. People used to do that when a person would like intermarry or secular. That is not done anymore. Yeah. Very, very, very good question. Very, very good question. Even such people, even such people, maybe even them more so, because the way Judaism is represented to them is even worse as it represents anyone else. Even they, we give benefit of the doubt, we say they just don't know. Now, again, it's also on an individual level. Maybe on an individual, personal level, maybe they know they should be doing it, don't do it, but maybe they are culpable. We don't know. These are general concepts that we apply. Um, but even those people who grew up in Jerusalem, but they got people in Israel who live up 50% of Jewish kids in Israel do not know the words Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Achad. 50%. I was on a plane with a secular, I promise you this is a true story. I was sitting on a plane with this guy, secular Israeli, I was sitting next to me, so I'm obsessed. I sit with Israelis, I just love to like, you know, hop them and teach them and like drive them crazy, you know? <laughs> I love it. So when they enjoy it, they like it, you know. They'll always talk politics, because they're obsessed with it. But once they get over the politics, they'll talk to you and they'll agree with you. So I sit next to this guy, and I told him this fact. I was like, and I, you know, I heard recently, I said, a crazy like this. And he sat next to me, a grown Jewish man, saying, I don't know it. Shema, I promise you. I'm tell- it happened to me. I'm not telling you. Happened to some- I've sat with people. They don't know. It's frightening. Now, in my father, my mother's Israeli, and my in-laws are Israeli, in their generation, they knew. In their generation, they, now, maybe they didn't learn it as a spiritual thing, it was like a historical thing, but they knew the Tanakh. They knew their Bible, and they learned the verses. To this day, my father-in-law will, like, quote verses from the prophets to me, and the Jewish writings, and I'll be like, I didn't know that one. And he's like, how do you know that? He's like, it looks to me like a complete ignoramus. Maybe I am, you know. But in his day and age, you learned it. It's like it was a given. You go in school. Now it ain't like that. For, for most Israeli kids, they have no idea. Therefore, they will have the same... It sounds unusual, but one second, they're surrounded by the religious people. It could be more of a hindrance than a help, sadly. It shouldn't be. It shouldn't be. That's my own personal philosophy, but it's based upon a Jewish idea of Tinnik uh, Shanish Baya. It's totally unacceptable. You cannot judge any other Jew. You have no idea why they're of that level of observance, and it is forbidden in Judaism. No, I get that. But Absolutely forbidden in Judaism. Community, so they get the same almost um, 
What do you mean? Pass for what exactly? It's not a pass, but do they get the same kind of leniency that someone... If I grew up in a secular home and I didn't know, I get a certain amount of leniency that someone who grew up in a secular home and I didn't know and I have to learn it. So if I didn't get to that point yet... Okay, we get that, we get. So what are you saying about the religious person? So the religious person, if that's the community they grew up in, and if they were taught that from the moment they were born to the time they were an adult, and they don't understand that you have to be accepting or you don't get to persecute or things like that. Are you saying in terms of that judgment? No, because the Torah says very clearly, in many places, not to do that. We don't judge. Now, it does say, it does say, right, it does say in the Torah that a person has to rebuke their fellow person when they see them do various errors. But they learn any of the commentaries on it, no one knows how to do that anymore, and they shouldn't be doing it. And they shouldn't be doing it. And they're actually making, in most cases, it becomes a chil Hashem, which we already said is the worst of error. Right? They make a desecration of Hashem's name. Listen, going back maybe a hundred years, two hundred years ago, people knew they understood when they went off, they had to be pulled back. Now the pulling back does not work. They have to be enticed, shown, demonstrated. They have no idea. That is the accepted methodology now in the Jewish world. No one is able to give rebuke in our generation. They just don't. I'm not speaking. I'm telling you what the Torah sources tell you. I'll, sh- I'll, show, you the, I'll show you the sources themselves so you don't have to take my word for it, which is my style of teaching. Everyone should see the sources for themselves. And the same way we shouldn't judge them. Yeah. Eliane, something to ask? No. Having said all this, we are all expected to keep on learning and keep on doing. Mm-hmm. That's for sure. Everyone's obligated to do something, right? And to keep moving slowly towards their own personal and Torah spiritual goals. There's no doubt about that. So discarding is uh, not an option. And the person is not expected to do it in any particular short time frame. Just like a convert, which is why we started the class, is not expected to... Actually, not expected to do it at all. But once they've made their commitment, they can take time in order to take on those mitzvot. Okay? I think out of everything I said today, the most important thing is for Gabriella that if a person is chomets on Pesach, they are not struck dead. <laughs> I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. I, know. I want to, I know, I want to. It's not true. It's not true. I want to. I, I, if, if there's, if it was worth, it was worth me waking up this morning. It was worth my mother having me, for me to tell you and everyone else, listen to this class right now, that if a secular Jew eats chametz, they are not struck down by lightning. Karet. So karet means. That's a good question. It means spiritually cut off. So some say it means that, that. They are, it could be that the sham is cut off from the shoresh, according to some. It could be that they go childless. It could be that life is shortened. But the person gets to shuvat everyone. Everyone gets the ability, and we'll look at details of it. I'm going to go through the mitzvah shuvah as well. Everyone, no matter how religious they are, everyone does a veros. Okay, your average rabbi will not be eating chametz on Pesach intentionally, but they will speak in Lashon Hara, which is also derisa. Okay? Everyone gets a chance to do shuvah. So to say that a person, his chametz, gets, gets struck down by lightning or immediately punished is just not true. Having said that, you can't eat chametz on Pesach. <laughs> it's really very scary that's Look, it used to be, listen, it's a methodology of teaching yeah. through fear and through... Uh, and through, and it, it is true, a person does get karet for eating, 
food on Yom Kippur and eating Pesach. However, depends on their upbringing. As we said, it makes a difference and depends on what's expected on them. And even once they do, everyone can do tshuva. Everything is tshuvaable. Some things are harder than others. That one's rather easy. Lashon Hara is much harder. Chilashem is almost impossible. Because once it's done, it's out there. So some things are harder to do tshuva than others. The Rambam lists 24 things that are much harder to do tshuva for. There's no doubt about it. All right, fantastic. We will, uh, God willing, pick this up tomorrow with a new topic. Have a great and successful day.